Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Family, we're glad that you're here and excited for what God is doing. Well, if you have your Bibles open and you're at Romans 8, uh, you have turned to one of the crown jewels of the New Testament. That's not just my opinion, but Billy Graham said this, Romans 8 is the chapter that has sustained me through so many trials and tribulations. It reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher, said the eighth chapter of Romans is the most wonderful chapter in the whole Bible. It tells us nothing can separate us from God's love and that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I mean, this is a wonderful chapter. This is a great chapter to commit to, to memory, to spend some time marinating in and meditating on. One of my favorite writers, A.W. Tozer, said this, the eighth chapter of Romans is like a symphony of grace. It speaks of freedom and victory we have in Christ and assures us of God's unchanging love. Elizabeth Elliot, one of the famous missionaries whose husband was martyred in service of, of Jesus, said this, I have often turned to Romans 8 in times of difficulty and doubt. It reminds me that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Come on, Central. That's awesome. That's all in Romans 8. I mean, this is an amazing, amazing chapter that's worthy of our time and worthy of our attention. It starts with there's no condemnation and it ends with there will never be any separation. I want to start by looking at Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 today. Rewind the clock two weeks to when we, we, we studied this passage. It says this. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. doesn't mean later. Right now, there is no condemnation. doesn't mean less condemnation. It doesn't mean that, that whenever you surrender your life to Jesus, that God gave you a Kickstarter, and then you got to figure everything else out on your own. Like, no, there's no condemnation on your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in Christ. There, you're, you're, it's impossible to experience condemnation from God because of who you are in Christ Jesus. The moment... That, that we surrender our life to Jesus, that, that takes place. And as we mentioned in Romans 8, it's this pivotal turn in this amazing book of Romans. In the first seven chapters, the Holy Spirit's mentioned one time. In chapter 8 alone, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. So, so what we have here is this, this mentioning, this Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation. And then Paul makes this turn, and, and he really turns to this celebration and this recognition of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer for the remainder of Romans chapter 8. The way we understand Romans chapter 8 is that now that we have died with Christ, we've been buried with Christ, we, we were raised to new life in Christ which, by the way, is the whole imagery of baptism, which is why baptism is so essential in our, in our, in our, in our following of Jesus. Not only did, was Jesus baptized, but it, it, it symbolizes to the outside world the inside change that has taken place. And so when we enter the waters of baptism, it's your old self. It's the old you. You go under the water, you're buried with Christ, identifying with him in his death, coming up out of the water, raised to walk in new life, identifying with him in his resurrection power. And so if you haven't been baptized, I'm just going to tell you, it's important. It's essential in your Christian faith. It's, it's not the end. It doesn't mean you've arrived. No, it's just the beginning place. And so I encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, make sure that you do so. And as a result of all that, we are now dead to sin, no longer under the reign of sin and death, but under this reign of grace. And now the Holy Spirit is working in our life to complete what he has begun. 
In a nutshell, that's a flyby of the first seven chapters of Romans. And so with that as an introduction, let's turn to our verse today, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me, if you would, in honor of, of God's word. And we're going to unpack these two verses today. We're going to have a couple words in red on the screen. Uh, whenever we get to those red letter words, if you could, really loud, really proud, read them out loud. That would be awesome. Here it is, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you have... You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the, power of the Spirit. through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. Father, we thank you so much for having life for us. We thank you, God, that you not only save us, but God, you purpose us for, for a better life right here, right now. And one day, God, we're gonna experience brand new life in heaven with you, glorification. And God, we, we're just so thankful for that. And God, we know your word is powerful. So God, we pray today that as we crack open your word, you would bring new revelation to us, but God, you'd also bring practical application for our daily life so we can live this out and experience the freedom that you have for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't you give someone a high five and say victory is in your future. Victory is in your future. Before we jump into unpacking these two verses, let me just say that these two verses that we just read are what most scholars say are the two most important verses in the entire Bible on the topic of sanctification. The two most important verses. And sanctification, we could pull up a simple definition. Here's what sanctification is. Sanctification is the process whereby the believer becomes more and more like Jesus, or holy, we could say. And as a result of God's work in them and their obedience to God's word. Now, here's what we need to know. God does deliver people instantly. I've seen it happen. I've seen people delivered from lifelong addictions in a moment. And that's a beautiful thing. But for most of us, it's this journey. For most of us, it's this process of ongoing surrender, of ongoing commitment to God. It's this process where the believer becomes more and more like Jesus. And when you become more and more like Jesus, you become more and more of a whole person because you're created in the image of God. And whenever you live out his image, when you conform your life to the life of Jesus, you're going to come alive. And that's the exciting thing that we're going to unpack in this message. As a result of God's work in you, so God is working in you, the Holy Spirit's working in you, and your commitment to being obedient to God's word. It's this both and. It's God working in you, but it's your purposing in my heart. I'm purposing my heart. God, I'm going to live, I'm going to live for you. At the moment of salvation, you are forgiven. There's no condemnation. And here's what we've been unpacking through Romans. Here's what Paul talks about. We see all three of these in, in Romans chapter 8. At the moment of your salvation, you experience what the Bible, what Paul says, is justification. Justification is where your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven, eradicated from your life, removed from your life. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sin and transgression from you. Not only does he forgive your sin, but he goes beyond that. He doesn't just leave you there. He clothes you in the righteousness of Christ. And so now whenever God sees you, he doesn't see the junk that you did. He doesn't see the sin that separated you from him. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And so you can with confidence, with boldness, come to God and ask what you need and find help in your time of need. That takes place the moment of your salvation. So for, for many of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's taken place in the past. For some of you, that's going to take place today. 
But for all of us, if we're followers of Jesus right here, right now, we're experiencing what the Bible is going to call sanctification. It's this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And the more and more we become like Jesus, the more and more alive we become. And then, then in the future, one day, whenever this body of mine wears out and body of yours wears out, you're going to experience glorification. You're going to get a brand new body. You're going to be fully alive. You're going to get a glorified body for a glorified eternity with a glorified Savior. And I don't know about you, but I'm a little fired up for it. I'm looking forward to it. In the midst of challenges, in the midst of challenges, the midst of difficulty, it's important to remember that. You've been justified. Now I'm in this process of becoming more like Jesus. But even in my shortcomings, I'm an imperfect person in progress. But one day my progress will be made complete because he who started a work in me is going to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And on that day, I'll be perfect. I'll be made whole. And so will you. And sometimes we just need to take a time out and marinate in that truth for a little bit. But today what we're unpacking is this topic of sanctification. The two primary verses on, on this, this topic. Again, it's not instantaneous. Before I was a follower of Jesus, I heard God could change a life. And I would pray, God, would you change me? God, would you take away these addictions? God, would you take away these strongholds in my life? God, would you change my, my destructive habits? Would you change my destructive thinking? And, and here's what I, pray, God, I heard God could do it. I've heard testimonies of God doing it. And so I, God, would you do it? And I just thought God was going to zap me. And it was going to be like, freedom, like George Wallace moment. And whenever that didn't happen, I was like, well, maybe God doesn't want me. Maybe God doesn't love me. And I understood that because I did a lot of dumb stuff in my life. But what I didn't realize is God, he loved me. He, he was willing to save me. He was willing to transform me. But he was inviting me into this journey. And he's inviting you into that journey as well. It's a, it's a process. Romans 8 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. If you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the spirit, the power of the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. In other words, sanctification, this process of becoming like Jesus is not a do-it-yourself project. It's something that we surrender, we partner with God on. In the first three steps of AA, the first three steps of NA, the first three steps of any uh, successful recovery program could be summed up in, in these short words. I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. I can't, I'm powerless to it. But God can, and so I think I'm going to let him. That's true whether you're addicted to heroin or you're a gossip. That's true whether you're strung out on cocaine or you struggle with lying. All of us deal with this sinful nature. And the only way to get victory is to live from that formula. God, I can't, but I know you can, and I'm going to let you. I'm going to partner with you to become a whole person who you created me to be. Anything less than that is, in the words of John Owen, we end up fighting battles without victory or wars without peace. In other words, it's just, it's pointless. You can, you can try on your own as you want to live this life that God's inviting us into, to live this life like Jesus lived, but we, we got to have the Holy Spirit's help in doing so. Romans 8.12, let's begin unpacking this. It says this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, and anytime we see the word therefore, we got to go back and rewind the tape and see what it's there for. And if you're with us last week, we learned that the Holy Spirit does something. When the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in us, he changes us. And here's how he changes us. Number one, he changes our thinking. Two, he produces life and peace in and through us. He brings new life to you. The peace that you've always wanted, you've always longed for, he'll bring it to you. 
And not only that, but the Holy Spirit, God, very God, dwells within you. And not only that, the Holy Spirit in you will resurrect us one day. All that's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. You say, well, what does that look like? Why does he start with therefore? Well, because of, of this. So let's look at, at verse 11 and 12. It says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will, not he may be, not we hope. No, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. Think about this. God, very God, the God who spoke the stars into existence, that, that knit you together in your mother's womb, the God who, who formed the earth and the galaxies and, and everything in them. He takes up residence in you and you think that's not going to change you? It's, it's going to radically, wonderfully, beautifully shape you into his image, empowering you to do what you can never do on your own. And in light of that, verse 12, therefore, because that's true, my dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. In other words, there's victory in your future. You can overcome any challenge, any hurt, habit, or hang-up you'll ever face in this life. It won't be instant. It'll be a process. But as you partner with the Holy Spirit, it becomes possible. He says this, you have no obligation to the sinful nature. Here's why you have no obligation to the sinful nature. We can, we can line up and testimony after testimony. We could all stand on stage and say, my sinful nature urged me to do this, and it brought death here. I, I thought this would look really good, but I did it and it brought destruction. It, the sinful nature only brings death and destruction decay. It, it makes everything that you value and treasure in life come unraveled. And therefore, you have no obligation to it. The NIV says we have no obligation to the sinful nature, but, but we have an obligation to please the Spirit because the Spirit of God is what sets us free. And whenever we get a, a glimpse of that, when the heart of every believer is like, God, you've done what for me? Okay, in light of that, God, here I am. Like, I don't have to fully understand it, but if I just get a, 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 a glimmer of it, just a glimpse, it's breathtaking, all that God has done for you. God, you removed my sin, past, present, and future. God, you didn't just remove my sin, but when I was bankrupt before you, when I was bankrupt in righteousness, God, you clothed me in the righteousness of Christ. Are you kidding me? You dumped the truckload. I was bankrupt. Now I'm, I'm, I'm so filthy rich in righteousness, I can't even, can't even quantify it. Now, God, when you look at me, I'm, I'm the righteous. Are you kidding me? God, I know what I deserve. I know what I've done, and I know it deserves condemnation. But you've declared a different verdict over my life. You said, Tim, now there's therefore no condemnation. And he declares the same verdict over your life if you're a follower of Jesus. And now, God, you're working in me? Are you kidding me? Like the Holy, your Holy Spirit takes up residence in me? God, you're going before me? God, you're coming behind me? God, you're directing my steps? Are you kidding me, God? Yeah, that's, what, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's true of you today if you're a follower of Jesus. When a believer gets a glimpse of that, the natural byproduct is just this, God, I want to be all in with you. I'm, whole heart, I'm, I'm all in. Whatever you want, my answer is yes. I don't even, before you even ask, you need to know I'm yes. That's what I want. Whatever you want, I'm good with it. Verse 13, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. And we could take that at face value. Uh, because of sin, our bodies do wear out, we do die. We could take it at face value as a follower of Christ, struggling in our battle with sin. Uh, whenever we, we, we sin, we become less than God's best for our life. There's an element of death there. 
But we talked about this last week. In Romans chapter 8, Paul's not talking about the Christian struggling with sin, although I think we could interpret it that way. I think for the most part, scholars say that Paul's talking to two different groups of people. One who's, who lives according to sinful nature, their mind's just set on whatever I want, when I want, how I want, and God might be a part of the equation, but he's like 10th. Like he's not a priority. He's not number one for sure. But like whenever he's convenient for them, like they, they just give God whatever they're willing to give. He can give God the leftovers and I hope he's happy with that. The other, the other person that, that Paul's talking about here is those who live according to the spirit, he says. And those who, who live according to the spirit, they, they just want to please God. They're not perfect. They're imperfect people in progress, but they've purposed in their mind. They purposed in their heart. God, I want to please you. And they're, they're striving for that. They're pursuing that. So if you live by the sinful nature's dictates, you will die. But if through the spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. Uh, that's actually, I kind of think it's a poor translation of that. Uh, so yeah, the ESV, what I just read was the new living translation. This is the ESV. And so the ESV says that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the body. And so Paul talks to us repeatedly in, in Romans about how in our body, this, this flesh, this, this physical body is how sin my body's been broken by sin. And so my body, it, it has these internal cravings that actually are contrary to God's created design for me. And so that's part of the reason why whenever we, we die, we're free from this body of sin and we are free to live as God created us to be. And so he talks a lot about the flesh, talks a lot about, about the body. And what are the deeds of the body? Well, things that my eyes see that are displeasing to God. Uh, things that my hands do that are less than God's best for my life. Places my feet take me where, where I, I know I shouldn't be and God knows I shouldn't be. Things that my mind meditates on and ponders and relishes in that are less than God's best for my life and for your life. Those are deeds of, of the body. And if we, we live that, we give way for that, we become slave to that, we will not only experience physical death but also spiritual death. But if we put to death the deeds of the body, we can become alive. We can, we can live in the words of Romans 8, 13. So what I want to do for the remainder of our time is just, we're just going to put it in park and we're going to camp out on this verse because I think this is so important. I think it's important for us to grasp. I think God has victory in your future. And I think for many of us, we know that, we hear that, we want that, but how do we attain that? How, how do we actually live that, live that out? So here's the first point. I think it comes down to training over trying. Training over trying. If you want to live life like Jesus lived, we need to do what Jesus did. Not just try to live like Jesus, but train like Jesus. Here's an analogy to help us wrap our head around that. Uh, imagine a kid, a little kid. He's uh, nine years old. He loves Steph Curry. Steph Curry is his favorite player. And, uh, and so he watches Steph Curry. He, he gets a Steph Curry jersey. Like, like he models his game after Steph Curry. He watches on TV. He buys the shoes that Steph Curry wears. Like he, he buys the sweatbands. Like he, he even asked to wrap, can you wrap my, my ankles like Steph Curry does? Every night before he goes to bed, he does this thing. Like it is Steph Curry shimmy. Like he's just, he's ready. And so game day comes for this little kid. And he's playing this little league basketball and he's, he's ready to make it rain. Like he's ready to drop 30 just like Steph Curry. So he, boom, air ball. He tries to do this crossover. Off of his foot, out of bounds, turnover, we're going the other way. Again, shot, air ball, after air ball, after air ball, turnover, after turnover, after turnover. Why? He's trying to live like Steph Curry. 
Well, he's trying to be Steph Curry, but he hasn't trained like Steph Curry. What Steph Curry does requires muscle memory. What Steph Curry does requires intentionality, requires time invested. You don't just show up one day and all of a sudden you can lift 400 pounds in the gym. No, you've got to start some training. And I think the same is true in our following of Jesus. I think we know some things about God. I think we know that God's word says, I should love my enemy. But why do I still hate him? I know the Bible says, like, like Jesus, he walked in purity and we're called to walk in purity too. Well, why do we struggle with our thought life? I don't know what God says about A, B, C, and D, but why do we stumble over our own feet? Perhaps it's because we're trying to live like Jesus, but we haven't trained like Jesus. We haven't put into motion the principles, the practices that Jesus did on a daily basis that allowed him to bless those who cursed him. We haven't trained like Jesus, so, so whenever we, we encounter a difficult situation, faith rises up in our heart instead of focusing on what we can see. Spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices are, are vital for us to train like Jesus. Could be Bible, meditation, prayer, Sabbath, silence, solitude. And those aren't just to check boxes. Those aren't just things that we're, we have to do. No, they're practices that allow us to create space in our life for the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. There's an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. And, and Paul uses this image of an athlete, and he associates what, the way athletes train with the way followers of Jesus structure their life. It's fascinating. Let's read it. It says, do you not know that in a race, not all runners get a prize? And you're like... <laughs> Unless you're a millennial, everybody gets a prize, right? Like, you get a prize, you get a prize. In Paul's day, just to contextualize this, there were winners and losers in Corinth, apparently. Uh, and not everyone got a trophy. And so, so you do not know that in a race, not all runners get a prize. He says this, run in such a way to win. So you're not just here to compete, you're here to take first place. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, they do it to get a prize that will not last, but we do it to get a prize that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Being disqualified doesn't mean that Paul's not going to heaven. It just means that he's not going to have the rewards that he hopes to have in heaven. And on that note, let me just say like heaven's going to be awesome for everybody, but heaven will not be the same for everyone. In the same way, hell will be hellish for everyone, but hell will not be the same for everyone. And the Bible speaks to that based on how we live, the, 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 the way we structure our life. And Paul's just saying, man, I'm, I'm disciplining myself like an athlete so that I can produce fruit that will last for all eternity. I don't want to lose. I want to be disqualified from that prize. This metaphor that Paul uses is, is that of a, a, a runner training or a boxer training for a big fight. In Corinth, and Paul was writing to the Corinthians, so there's a church in Corinth. And in Corinth, every two years, there was kind of like Olympic Games. It was called the Isthmian Games. Every two years, tens of thousands of people from the Mediterranean were packed into the city of Corinth to watch these athletes compete. And so this, this, this teaching that Paul's unpacking, this, these athletes, these, this training would have been a very vivid, brought very vivid imagery to them. Much like Steph Curry or your favorite UFC fighter. Like they would be, they would know people that did this. 
And these words would have carried weight. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it. In other words, there's some training that we should do, that you and I should be engaged in. Athletes who train, they structure their life around it. Like, it's, it's not just something that they show up on Sunday. Like, the Chiefs, who are, like, the best team in the world. Like, Patrick Mahomes, like, if you've watched quarterback, you know, like, you've seen his training regiment. It's intense. He's got trainers on trainers on trainers. Like, he goes to practice, yes, but afterwards he's got more trainers. Why? Because he's an athlete. He wants to perform at the top of his game. And the same is true. He says, hey, just as they train, we do too. He says, we do it, but we do it for a different goal. We do it with a different purpose. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is not a one-off metaphor for Paul. He talks about athletes and the way they train in Acts, in Galatians, Corinthians, in his letter to his apprentice, young Timothy. He says, hey, this is, this is important for us to grasp. In other words, for Paul, discipleship and following Jesus wasn't just something we do with our minds. It's something we do with our bodies. Let me just say that again. Following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, isn't just something that we do with our minds. It's something we do with our bodies. It's the whole person. You remember Jesus' words, his approach, what's, what's the greatest commandment? What do you respond? He said, hey, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Right? Like it's all of us pursuing God. Look at it again, Romans 8, 13. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you. And so which is it? Is it the spirit that puts the sinful nature to death? Or is it you? Yes, is the correct answer. It's you and God partnering together to put to death the misdeeds of the body so that you may live. And I don't know, it's, it's, if we were to quantify it, I'm not saying it's, it's probably more like the Holy Spirit does 99% of the work. We do 1%. But we have a part to play. We, we, we engage in this process. And here's what you'll experience. Where there was defeat, you'll experience victory. Where there was addiction, you're going to find freedom. Where there's brokenness, you're going to find wholeness. Where there is death, you're going to experience new life. But it's engaging in the practices of Jesus. So the second point, I want to talk about that. How do we train like Jesus? Here's some training tools or Jesus practices. Throughout the centuries, these have been called spiritual disciplines. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. And so if we want to live like Jesus lived, we need to adopt some of the lifestyle, some of the practices, some of the rhythms that Jesus had. And these are training tools. Again, they're called spiritual disciplines. Uh, here's the definition of a spiritual discipline. I think these are in your notes. Uh, spiritual disciplines is this. Uh, practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create time and space for us to access the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, how do we do that? Well, by deploying these spiritual practices. It's about training, not trying. We create space for us to access the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we're transformed from the inside out. In other words, Christianity, following Jesus, isn't just behavior modification. Where we're changed from the inside out. And spiritual disciplines, anything you see in the four Gospels, in the life of Jesus, and in, in the life of the New Testament. Here's a list. Uh, there's, we could add more to this, but, but here's just a, a starter for us. And we could give chapter and verse for all of these, but here's a list of spiritual disciplines. Uh, silence and solitude. Uh, we see this in the life of Jesus very uh, repeatedly, very early in the morning. Jesus goes out to a solitary place to pray. Why very early in the morning? Because it's silent. Because there's no one there 
talking to him. Uh, there's no one there biting for his time. He doesn't get distracted like I do. And I'm like trying to pray, but I'm like, what was that? Was that a truck? Oh, was that a, what is that? And then my mind goes, oh, I need to clean the truck. Oh, da, da. And then my mind's a million other places, silence and solitude. Uh, prayer. There's a lot we could talk about prayer. Could be silent prayer. Could be intercessory prayer. Could be praying scriptures, um, fasting, uh, Bible. And when we talk about Bible, it could be Bible memorization, scripture meditation, could be uh, just having a discipline of reading the Bible through in a year. Could be a, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about with the Bible. Community, it's valuable to be in, be in groups, be, in, be, a, be a part of a community where you're not alone. Sabbath, having 24 hours where you shut down and you do nothing but stop, rest, delight, and contemplate on the things of God. Sunday gatherings, we see this in, in the life of Jesus. It wasn't Sunday for him, it was Saturday. The reason the church celebrates on Sunday is because it's the first day of the week. We give God our first, and it was Resurrection Sunday. We remind ourselves by celebrating and gathering on Sunday that, that our hope is in, in the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we do it on Sunday. But Jesus, throughout his life, not only practiced Sabbath, but was always gathering with people and always open, worshiping God, opening God's word, learning from scriptures. And now, today, we break bread and Share the cup of communion together as Jesus instituted. Which, by the way, you did it, y'all. Like, you're doing a spiritual discipline right now. And so, good job. You're doing this. All right, serving, giving, simple living. I don't know if you thought about this, but Jesus didn't own much. He, 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 he was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He didn't have a whole lot to his name. Simple living, celebration, grieving, all spiritual disciplines, not just grieving the loss of loved ones, but grieving brokenness in our own life, sin in our own life, confession, secrecy. Uh, this isn't hiding your internet usage or browser history, uh, but secrecy here is like doing good things for other people, but doing it in a way that doesn't draw a whole lot of attention to yourself. It's going and feeding the hungry, but you're not posting on social media. We see this throughout the life of Jesus. He would transform someone's life, heal them, deliver them, and then next thing you'd say, don't tell anybody I did it for you. And then gratitude, and the list could go on. But these are all spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. And, and the reason Jesus had the authority he had, the reason he could love his neighbor, the reason that, that he, he walked in obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit, because he practiced these things. He wasn't just trying, he was training himself to live from that posture. Uh, Dallas Willard the guru on spiritual disciplines says this, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. I believe there's an essential place for effort in our discipleship of Jesus, self-effort. And I know for some of us that rubs us wrong. Uh, but let me just say this, we're saved by grace through faith alone. Again, there's no condemnation. Paul starts with that. But then he says, hey, you gotta put to death the misdeeds of the body. Like, so God, it's not a condemnation. It's not a heaven or hell issue. It's a freedom issue. And that requires some effort on our part. Again, we're saved by grace through faith. You heard me preach that message. But I think, I don't think in California in 2023, the greatest challenge for most of us in the church, I don't think the greatest challenge is that we're trying to earn God's love. Like, I just, of all the counseling I've done, I just haven't had someone sit down with me and said, Tim, Here's the deal, bro. Like, Pastor Tim, I fast four days a week. I pray nine hours a day. I just sold my house. I'm not moving to Texas. I'm giving the money to the poor. And I'm going to live in poverty the rest of my life. And Tim, do you think that's enough for God to love me? I just haven't had that conversation. Maybe you have. And if you have, let me know. Uh, but, but for most of us, our greatest challenge is, is the pace of life. 
so that we don't slow down? Like, when's the last time you've had a Sabbath? When's the last time you created space to hear from heaven? I, I think uh, uh, fulfilling our own selfish desires. I think there's undercurrents of, of God, you owe me. God, when you don't behave this way, I'm mad at you for that. Instead of this reverence and awe of who God is and sovereignty that he carries with him. We're too busy. We're sucked into the pace of the city. We carry guilt and shame. All of that, I'm just saying, the challenges that Martin Luther faced in 1517 are not the same challenges that we face in the church in 2023. And so, so by then it was works righteousness. And when the pendulum swung so far, it's just like, God loves me, God will bless me, make me happy, make me clappy. Instead of this, some effort, say, God, I just want to please you. And again, it's, it's, grace isn't opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. You can't earn it. Romans 8.13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that's an invitation from God. We have an invitation to partner with him. You put to death. You purpose in your heart. God, things that are displeasing in my life to you, I want to put those to death. And God, I'm asking your Holy Spirit, would you help me to do that? And, and God will. And, and if you're like uh, so many of us, you know, you, like quantify that for me, Tim. Is it I do 50%, he does 50%. It's probably more like 99. God does 99%, we do one. Uh, but there is some, that 1% matters. Uh, for me and my daughter in the summer, she loves uh, swimming and she wants to be like a cheerleader, gymnastics. Woo, it's so fun. Um, but one of our favorite things to do in the pool is to lift her up like those cheerleaders when they do stunts, right? And so uh, obviously I'm the base. And so I lift her up, we come up out of the water and then I lift her up all the way. And she's like, woo! And then we go in the water. She's like, daddy, I did it. I did it. I'm like, well, yeah, you did. But like, I'm lifting you up, girl. Like, you just stood there and whee, like that. I think sanctification is like that. God does the heavy lifting and we just get to be whee, like freedom, right? And that's what's in your future. Freedom's in your future whenever you follow this sanctification process. If by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Again, Dallas Willard, he wrote a book uh, called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And I want to pull this up for you. Uh, he lists out the different disciplines in his book. And I, I invite you to take a screenshot of this or a picture of this. If you haven't read Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, I, I would make that a priority. Uh, it's a great book. It, it shaped hundreds of people's lives, thousands of people's lives. Uh, and he unpacks it brilliantly, uh, much better than I can articulate today. But he breaks down the spiritual disciplines in two categories. And he's the only person I've seen that, that initiated this. But but he has spiritual disciplines for abstinence, abstaining from some things, things like solitude, silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, sacrifice. And he also breaks down the spiritual disciplines into disciplines of engagement. So some things we're going to abstain from, some things we're going to engage in. Engagement would be things like study, prayer, worship, celebration, service, fellowship, Sunday gatherings, confession, submission, the list could go on. And so I wanted to break this down in four different quadrants for you, uh, four access points. Again, we're, we're parking on this one. Romans 8, 13, this is important for us to grasp. So I know this is more teaching than preaching, but, but just bear with me because I think it's going to help you. Uh, and so, so one, abstinence, and then two, engagement. And there's, there's some things we do alone. There's some things that we do in community. And so based on your wiring, some of these spiritual disciplines are going to come more naturally to you. Based on your wiring, some of these are going to become more challenging for you. And so if you're extroverted, 
Like you're an ES Enneagram, like you're going to be this bottom right corner. You just want to do justice in the city. You want to have people over for dinner and like talk and fellowship. You're going to be in one group. You're going to be in two groups. Like you just love it. It's like more and more and more people. It's awesome. If you're an introvert, silence and solitude might come really easy for you. Right. And, and, and by the way, if you're in this, this quadrant, typically these Sunday gatherings are exhausting for you. And so thanks for being here. Like you're applying a spiritual discipline. You're not forsaking the gathering together. Way to go. You're doing it. Right. But if you're an introvert and science and solitude comes more naturally for you, it's also important for you to be involved in community. And if you're an extrovert and you're in three different groups and that might be good, you might need to be in three different groups because you come alive when you do and you strengthen the body when you do. But it's also important to have some time of silence and solitude where you can hear from heaven, where you take time to pray. You see what I'm saying? Like based on your wiring, some of them are going to come more naturally than others. But all of them are important for us in our apprenticeship of Jesus and our following of who he's called us to be, discipling, becoming more and more like him. Third and final point, uh, training for victory. Training for victory. Throughout the ages, uh, spiritual leaders have used the spiritual disciplines and prescribed spiritual disciplines much like a doctor would prescribe a medication for an ailment or a surgery based on a physical ailment. They prescribe these spiritual disciplines to address spiritual needs within the individual's life. And so as a general rule of thumb, sins of, of commission, you need to apply a spiritual discipline of abstinence. So if you're engaging in something that you know is in violation of, of God's word and the life that he's created you to live, well, then it's, it's going to be important for you to apply some spiritual disciplines that, that is going to become, uh, to, to engage in abstaining from that. So for example, if you have a porn addiction and, and you just can't shake it, you feel like, man, I'm stuck in this rut. I don't know if I'll ever be able to get victory here. Well, fasting would probably be an important practice for you to, to engage in, to show your body, to, to withhold some things from your physical bodily appetite to train that muscle so you can experience victory in that life. So, so you're engaging in some things that bring destruction. Same is true for gluttony. Like a lot of challenge for us, man, we're a society where food's readily accessible and we can just numb ourselves with a beer and a loaf of banana bread. So fasting becomes an important discipline there, you know? The opposite's also true. Rule of, general rule of thumb, sins of omission require a spiritual discipline of engagement. And so if you feel like, for example, like you're like, man, I'm just not passionate for the Lord like I once was. Like I feel like maybe I'm just like lukewarm. Like, like you've been in church. Like you've heard all the sermons. Like you're filling in the blanks before I even get to them. Like you just know, you just know, you know? Like you're in it. And you're like, man, I wanna be on fire for God. What do I do? Well, you're gonna need to engage. You're going to need to apply some spiritual disciplines of engagement. Maybe for you, it becomes, man, you don't just need to be in a group. You need to lead a group. And, and really, you, you've plateaued because God has more for you, but he's waiting for you to step in and lead. And when you do, you're going to come alive because now you're going to be praying for people. You're going to be thinking through, man, what if this about this group? What about, I got to help them here and engage. Like, go sell a bunch of stuff and just give it away to the poor. Maybe sell a bunch of stuff and go on a missions trip. Engage, go see what people who don't have running water or electricity are living like and come back to the States. You're gonna be like, man, we're so good. Like we're so blessed. It's ridiculous. But engage, allow God to create a new passion, new fire for us. So sins of commission usually require spiritual disciplines of abstinence. Sins of omission usually 
need spiritual disciplines of engagement. In closing, remember Paul's metaphor, like an Olympic athlete, we go into strict training. They do it to win a gold medal that no one's going to care about in 100 years. We engage in spiritual discipline. We engage in spiritual training so we can experience freedom right here, right now, but also to do things that will last for all eternity. You've probably heard of Usain Bolt, uh, the great Jamaican runner, fastest man in the world. In 2004, at the age of 17, Usain Bolt competed in the Olympic Games and brought home zero medals, not bronze, not silver, not gold, nothing. But then, four years later, 2008, he brought home three gold medals for Jamaica. Now he's the most decorated runner in the history of the sport. Usain Bolt said this, he said, I trained four years to run nine seconds. I trained four years to run nine seconds. Some people who don't see results in two months give up and leave. Sometimes failure is sought by one's self. I trained four years to run nine seconds. I think in a lot of ways, spiritual disciplines are like that. We can train for years to experience victory. And hey, if you've been trying and experiencing failure, and you're like, gosh, I keep tripping over my own feet in this stupid area, and you're upset about it, hey, listen, there's grace. Give yourself some grace. But it doesn't mean quit training. Maybe you've been trying instead of training. Maybe it's time to start training yourself. Not just striving to live like Jesus lived, but actually applying the rhythms of life that Jesus had. We call them spiritual disciplines. I don't know if you've seen the movie Karate Kid. If you haven't, you're probably not an American. But it, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. That was out of bounds. Karate Kid's awesome, though. Uh, regardless, we should all watch Karate Kid from time to time. Ah, dang it. All right, anyway, Karate Kid, if you've seen the movie, you know uh, where Karate Kid, he's training Daniel, Mr. Miyagi, this guy, this mentor is training. He's getting bullied, he's getting beat up. So he goes to this, 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 this kung fu master and uh, his name is Mr. Miyagi. And he's like, can you train me? Like he's black eye beating up. He's like, yeah, come to my house tomorrow. I'll train you. And what does he have him do? Wax on, wax off. Here's my car, buddy. Get to waxing. And Daniel gets frustrated. He's like, you're not training. I'm here for kung fu. Not to detail your car. Wax on, wax off, right? I think sometimes applying spiritual disciplines are like that. God, I came to you for freedom and you gave me fasting? God, I, God, I, I want peace for my soul. And you gave me a Sabbath? I'm too busy. Hey, just start applying, wax on, wax off. And here's what you're gonna discover. God, in applying the spiritual disciplines by training like Jesus, you're going to find strength that you never had. And just like Daniel, he thought he was just waxing a car, meaningless. No, when he got into a fight, what happened? <laughs> like, I say it's going to be true for you spiritually by applying spiritual disciplines, not just trying to live like Jesus. Let's be people that start training like Jesus did. And you're going to find new strength that you never knew God had for you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that there's freedom in you.